Welcome to the Vail Christian Church Podcast. For our third week of Advent, Pastor Ben Pitney has a message titled, Good News in Troubling Times, Joy. Turn to Acts chapter 5, verses 40 through 42. At Vail Christian Church, we believe in training followers of Christ to worship, gather, give, and serve. It's really great to have your family with us today, and uh, I would love for you just to introduce us to your family. Tell us all your names. This is my beautiful wife, Kathy, and our four boys, Jace, Bradley, Tyler, and Ethan. Um, This is the week that we focus on joy in the Advent series, and really quickly, can we just define joy to sort sort of set that up a little bit? Brandon and I talked about it just for a minute. Tell us what is joy. I think I think joy really for me it uh, aligns much closely with contentment, just being content with where things are at, what you have, and uh, being good with that. I guess the world kind of defines joy a little bit differently, right? The, the common word used is uh, happiness a lot of times, but happiness is totally different than joy. Happiness is generally connected a lot more to our circumstances, and I think that you can be Full, full of happiness and joy at the same time, but a lot of times our circumstances aren't all that great. And um, I think you can still have joy. You can still be satisfied and content in the middle of things that are not going exactly the way um, we might plan them or want them to. So let's talk about joy, but first let's read some Bible verses that might uh, set the context up for joy. So we're going to start with Luke chapter 1, verse 46 through 48. And Mary said, My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has begun to rejoice in God my Savior, because he has looked upon the humble state of his servant. For from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Now there were shepherds nearby, living out in the field, keeping guard over their flock at night. An angel angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And there were absolutely terrified but the angel said to them do not be afraid listen carefully for i proclaim to you good news that brings great joy to all people today your savior is born in the city of david he is christ the lord this will be a sign for you you will find a baby wrapped in strips of cloth and lying in a manger I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. I will be overjoyed because of my God, for he clothes me in garments of deliverance. He puts on me a robe symbolizing vindication. I look like a bridegroom when he wears a turban as a priest would. I look like a bride when she puts on her jewelry. Always rejoice, constantly pray, and everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So that's really great, um, and, but joy is a misunderstood um, quality and characteristic um, a lot of times. So what keeps you from experiencing joy or being satisfied or, like your dad said, content? What keeps us from that kind of stuff? I think there's a lot of <clears throat> distractions that we've, we forget to be thankful for what we do have in spite of some of the difficulties or struggles that people might have in their families or in their personal life or in their jobs, all of that takes away from, or we forget what we do have and what we're thankful for, I guess. 
So where do you find joy and satisfaction as a family in order to be encouraged or to encourage others uh, in your lives? I think that, that our family tries to do is we try to do uh, service projects. And one of those is the Angel Tree Project that we get to do with our community group. And um, I know we do it in the youth sometimes. Um, we also try to reach out to families that might not be as fortunate as, as, fortunate as we are. Uh-huh. And um, I know that can be really encouraging to them. And we try to show Jesus' light and his joy to them. And I know personally and for us that that's also very encouraging for us. And we can, we can feel that joy when we, we get to reach out to them. We talked about some steps you could take as a family to choose joy, even when it's hard. What are some of those steps that maybe um, you guys can take or have been taking, thinking about taking this Christmas? Being intentional, not just not just in serving the people around us, but being intentional in in what this season is about. You know, trying to focus on on Jesus and, and His birth and, and what that means for us in the long term. Um, right. It's it's easy to miss that, and so you know, being intentional as a family about sitting down and talking about not just the Christmas tree and the presents or Santa Claus, but uh, yeah. but why we're here and you know, why do we come to church on Sundays? Why do we have the season of, of Advent? What does it look like for the rest of the year? What do we have to look forward to because of Jesus throughout the rest of the year? Right. And, then, and then sharing that with friends if, uh, when we can and just being, being a light or being uh, just a, a safe place to be for others around, mm-hmm. for our friends and family also. Yeah. Well, there's um, a lot that could distract us um, during this time of year, not to mention kind of what's happening in the world um, we live in right now. And so um, I think being intentional is a really, really great step towards uh, focusing on the right things. And um, you have to be intentional about, I believe, joy and contentment and satisfaction. You have to take steps to get there. And it's not going to be in stuff and things. And by and large, it's not going to be a, a, around what you find underneath the Christmas tree, will it? It's really um, about Jesus, um, 100%. So um, it's great to have you guys. Thanks for coming. You know, when you came to church today or uh, you tuned in to church, um, without a doubt, everybody has kind of a prejudice against joy. I don't know if you've thought about that, but most of you come into this room, you come to this, uh, come to church with preconceptions in your mind or feelings about the word joy or pleasure or delight, contentment or satisfaction. All that cluster of affectional, emotional language has associations for each one of you. And uh, some of them are positive and some of them are negative. And you're all over the map because of your different experiences. Just like uh, I have a different experience. I think actually joy is a difficult subject to teach for me personally. Because, um, I, I, because of the way the scripture presents joy. I, I want to talk about that a little bit. And I want to clarify some things so that I can at least um, help eliminate misconceptions of what I mean when I talk about delight or satisfaction, contentment, or joy. Because I think there's a lot of misunderstanding about joy or satisfaction in God. 
And the way uh, I want to clarify this is uh, through the scriptures. The Bible sometimes talks about sorrow and then joy as though they were sequential experiences. I don't know if you've noticed that, but it actually does it a lot. First you have one, and then you have another. And then sometimes the Bible talks about sorrow and joy as happening simultaneous, simultaneous experiences um, going on at the same moment, at the same time. And I don't know if we always catch that or always pick that up. I can give you two examples. One is found in Psalm chapter 30, verse 5, and it goes like this. One may experience sorrow during the night, but joy arrives in the morning. Now, if you've read very many of the Psalms, you kind of understand the Psalms a little bit. Everybody gets that, I think. Something horrible is going on in your life for a season called night. That's what the psalmist is saying. And uh, you're hurting most of the time or even weeping about it. And it passes or it gets fixed or uh, something happens and then joy returns. That's a sequence. First the hurt, the sorrow, or the weeping then joy. We get that. Everybody understands the difference between hurting and then leaping for joy because something really great has happened in our lives. Sorrow and joy are kind of mixed together sometimes too. So, right? The Bible talks about them as happening simultaneously actually quite a bit. For example, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 10, Paul describes himself and his life as Sorrowful, but always rejoicing, as poor, but making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. Not sequential. Unbroken joy, right? I, I, I don't think that's a contradiction because we use language that way, don't we? We actually use it, I think, all the time. We, we all know that sometimes you use the, uh, the word joy or we use the word delight or satisfaction to describe those bright, um, cheerful, sunny, sort of smiling expressions of that good feeling. That's not sorrow. But other times, if you've been a Christ follower for very long, you know this. We also talk about the sweet, deep, unshakable satisfaction in your soul through the worst of times. Now, I, you know, lots of people have been through some pretty difficult times already this year. This has been kind of crazy. Lots of hard things, lots of difficult things, lots of interruptions, lots of frustrating things happening, sad things. So I want to talk about joy, but I want to call it serious joy. There's a serious joy, and I think you're going to understand what I mean, because joy, the joy of a Christ follower is in conflict with our culture. So I want to call it serious joy in conflict with our culture. It, it's probably a little bit of where I'm at, um, but I think that you all have been there as well over this year. So this is going to lead to sort of the next question, I guess, and how serious joy in the life of a Christ follower leads to conflict in our culture. 
it leads to conflict, believe it or not, is because serious joy sets the soul free from dependence on our culture. And I feel like it's really in our face right now. I don't care who you are. Serious joy sets the soul free from dependence on cultural kudos and cultural conformity. In other words, when your joy comes from God through Christ and is absolutely unshakable through grief, through affliction, through weakness, through poverty, through shame, persecution, through loss, the culture loses its power to control you. I don't know if you've noticed that. If you take a stand, uh, a stand that the culture hates, and you know what those things are, and, then the, and, you, and you speak a word the culture condemns, and they shame you, and they persecute you, and they beat you up, but your serious joy remains, they've lost their power to control you or control where you stand and what you say. Have you noticed that? (laughs) If your joy comes from the world, if your joy comes from the world's benefits, from its comforts, from its kudos, you're like a leaf that just blows around in the wind. Yours is not a serious joy. So I want to talk about serious joy today, mostly because a lot of times we use this word happiness too much uh, in place of the word joy. And I think that you can be happy and joyful. I think, it, I think happiness is joy, but not all the times. Happiness, some, most of the time in our culture, describes where we are in our circumstances, Okay. And I think that if you have a joy from the world, I think it's a secondhand joy, if that. You're not free. Serious joy sets people free. And it makes them the most secure and subversive people when it comes to cultural control. And the culture wants to control you and I. I'm not, I'm not talking about politics and things like that, although I think it invades that as well. It's always been true, this, uh, this control issue. For 2,000 years, it's been true, actually. Serious joy in Christ through pain has always been radically liberating from cultural control. When you read through the scriptures, you see this. Christ followers, followers of Jesus, getting their joy from heaven. Christ followers become free on earth. This has always been true. And the new thing today, and see if you recognize this, the new thing today is that social media has created an intensification of an old-fashioned cultural control tactic. It's known as, I'm going to call it the call-out culture, the outrage culture, the cancel culture, right? The coddled culture, one of its marks is it teaches people to see words as violence and not to, uh, and, and to interrupt ideas and speakers as safe versus dangerous rather than merely as true versus false. You've seen it like crazy. You've seen it invade this thing that we really love as Americans called free speech. So, 
if you take your stand and you speak truth, truth about Jesus, biblical truth, you may be subject to being called out. You may be subject to outrage or being canceled because you have not sufficiently coddled the culture and what the culture wants. Serious joy is the great liberator from this kind of cultural control. I want to give you an illustration of this effort at cultural control through kind of call out or outrage or canceling and shaming and how it totally failed because it could not conquer actually serious joy. It's found in Acts chapter 5. Turn with me to Acts chapter 5. and We'll go to verse 40. It's an unbelievable scene. The church has been birthed. But there is a lot of opposition to the gospel message of Jesus. Look what's happening. In Acts chapter 5, verses 40, starting right there. Follow along with me in your Bible. You need to see this for yourself. And it says, and they summoned the apostles, and they had them beaten. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and release them. (laughs) So they left the council rejoicing. That's the people that were beaten. (laughs) Because they had been considered worthy to suffer dishonor for the sake of the name. That's the name of Jesus. And every day, both in the temple courts and from house to house, they did not stop teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus was the Christ. It's actually an unbelievable scene. The Jewish Sanhedrin is trying to silence the voice of these Christ followers, these leaders that um, uh, just like our culture often tries to do. And here's what happens. They beat them. They charge them. And they said, don't speak in the name of Jesus. And then they let him go as if that was going to do it. <laughs> Unbelievable. <clears throat> they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to to suffer the dishonor of the name, the name of Jesus. I call that serious joy. You see, that's different. That's serious joy right there, right? Unbelievable, unbelievable. It's the only kind that actually matters. We can talk about all kinds of things. We can sing carols so you're blue in the face about all kinds of stuff. This is what it really comes down to for me. Because it's the only kind of joy that survives and that magnifies the name of Jesus. Which now brings me to this question. Because there's something that always accompanies joy, and it kind of bugs me. It just bugs me, quite honestly, because it's so hard. It's really hard for me, and I know it's probably hard for you, too. If you're, you're like, no, 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 that comes easy to me, then I... I don't believe you. It's called humility. Humility. So you got you can't, I, I can't anyway. I just don't think the scripture allows you to talk about joy without talking about humility. 
God tells us all throughout the scriptures about true humility, and that's what I want to leave with you today. I want to challenge you. I want to motivate you today because humility that doesn't lack conviction and that, that, that will not be silenced, uh, that will not be silenced and, and, and will rejoice with serious joy in, um, in being shamed for the name of Jesus. That's the humility I think we should talk about. What do I mean when I say uh, that looking at God's word this way leads to, you know, serious joy? Looking through this lens of humility and looking for humility throughout the scriptures. I mean that when you look in the New Testament, when you observe it, when you understand it, when you evaluate it, when you feel it, when you absorb it, what forces itself into front and center into your, your, your life is a kind of joy that is pervasive and actually really strange and hard to get your arms around, especially in the world that we live in, the culture that we live in. Listen to these phrases, and I'm going to go pretty quick. So if you're going to write them down, just start writing them down, all right? Listen to these phrases from the New Testament or these verses from the New Testament. This is what life is like for the faithful Christ follower in the, in, in the fallen world that we live in. Look at this. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 34. For in fact, you shared the sufferings of those in prison and you accepted this confiscation of your belongings with joy. Because you knew that you certainly had a better and lasting possession. I don't know if you like your stuff being taken away from you, but here you go. James 1, 2. My brothers and sisters, consider it nothing but joy when you fall into all sorts of trials. Like hearing that, don't you? Matthew 5, verses 11 and 12. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil things about you falsely on account of me, Jesus says. Rejoice. Be joyful. And be glad, that's like saying, be joyful. Because your reward is great in heaven, for they persecuted the prophets before you in the same way. How about Matthew 13, 44? The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure. Oh, hidden in a field that a person found and hid, right? Then because of joy, he went and sold all that he had and he bought the field. Romans 5, 3 and 4. Not only this, but we also rejoice in sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance, character, and character, hope. 2 Corinthians 8, 2, that during a severe ordeal of suffering, their abundant joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in wealth, or in the wealth of their generosity. 2 Corinthians 13, 9, for we rejoice whenever we are weak. You're strong. Philippians 2.17, but even if I'm being poured out or wrung out like a drink offering on the, on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and I rejoice together with all of you, Paul says. Colossians 1.24, now I rejoice in my sufferings for you and I fill up in my physical body for the sake of his body, the church. 1 Thessalonians 1.6, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord when you received the message with joy that comes from the Holy Spirit despite great affliction. Hebrews 12.2, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, for the joy set out for him, he endured the cross, cross disregarding its shame. 1 Peter 1.6, this brings you great joy, although you may have 
to suffer for a short time in various trials. 1 Peter 4.13, but rejoice in the degree that you have shared in the sufferings of Christ, so that when his glory is revealed, you may also rejoice and be glad. Joy in trial, joy in grief, joy in affliction, joy being wrung out or poured out, joy in weakness, joy in poverty, joy in shame, joy in selling everything, joy in persecution, joy in being beat up and plundered, joy in the cross, joy in sharing Christ's suffering. That is serious joy. Have you ever thought of joy that way? I don't know. Maybe this is why it's so hard for me to teach on joy. It doesn't come that natural. We are all called to have this incredible confidence that a good beating is not going to keep you from speaking the truth. (laughs) The kind of confidence that beatings for the truth will cause someone to write about your life. They rejoiced because they, had been consi- because they had been considered worthy to suffer dishonor for the sake of the name. Wow. So what produces this kind of joy? Serious joy? Well, humility. <laughs> Being humble. I hate it. I don't like it. If you say, yeah, bring it on, I love it. I just, who are you? <laughs> Humility begins with submission to God in Christ. That's where it starts, though. Number one, 1 Peter 5, 6, and God will exalt you in due time if you humble yourself under his mighty hand. What? God is high, that's what that means, and I am low. I got to keep getting that through my head. God is powerful and I am weak. I need to be reminded of that. God is wise and I am foolish. That's more obvious. God is rich and I am poor. God is self sufficient and I am totally dependent. To know this and and, and to fear God is the beginning of actually wisdom about humility and joy. Number two, humility does not feel a right to better treatment than Jesus got. I don't know why we think we should be treated better than him. 1 Peter 2, 21 and 23 says, For to this you were called, this is what you were called to, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving an example for you to follow in his steps. It's like we just don't want to pay attention to that. When he was maligned, he did not answer back. When he suffered, he threatened no retaliation, but committed himself to God who judges justly. But if you're like me, a lot of anger, a lot of resentment comes from the expectation that we have a right to be treated well. Jesus never promised his disciples that. He never promised a fair fight. We should assume that his treatment is normal if you're radically following Jesus. It's pretty normal. 1 Peter 4.12, dear friends, don't be astonished. I like that. Don't be astonished. What's wrong with you? 
that a trial by fire is occurring among you as though something strange were happening to you, Peter says. What? This is the way it's supposed to go. If you showed up today and thought, well, man, Pastor, you know, I mean, Christmas, we're going to talk about really happy stuff. That's not joy. I mean, I don't know. The attitude of those guys after they got beat to death and then released and said, don't talk about Jesus anymore, they seemed pretty happy. What was going on in their life? I think they had a handle on this humility thing. We don't need to get the last word. We don't need to win the argument. We don't need to be vindicated in this world. God's going to vindicate us in his time, and that frees us from the need to proudly demand our rights in this world, and I don't like that. (laughs) But that's what it does, you see. I don't like people telling me what to do. I got an email from the sweet apartment people over here, so Lynn and I moved in the apartments. Try to be transparent about that. It's been hard. I don't like not having a garage. And um, they're still, it's still under construction. And, and, you know, listen, we're really, really, really blessed. But I got an email that said, hey, when you're walking around outside in public, you need to wear your mask. And I was thinking, when you're outside, you're, you're, you're good, okay? Don't tell me what to do. I'm outside. I mean, you guys are all the same. Don't say you're not. When the first thing you do after being in a store or somewhere for a long time, you get five feet out of the store and you pull that thing off and you're like, I just want to breathe, right? So when I go outside, I'm like, I don't got to do this, right? Now, I believe in it and I'm not being just hard-headed very much. When you got this kind of humility, I think Peter's talking about, when you understand really what it means to follow Jesus and joy and how this all works together, this stuff frees us from the need to proudly demand our rights in this world. And I think God is gifting us with this issue. (laughs) It's helping us recognize some things. Number three, humility asserts truth, not control or uh, to win debates, but to honor Christ's love and love others. It's always about others. Paul said that, um, that love, um, 1 Corinthians 13, 6, love rejoices in truth. In truth. Truth is an instrument of liberation and joy. John 8, 32 says, Know the truth and the truth will set you free. Speaking the truth that others need to hear but may not want to hear is an honor to Christ and love to others. So don't make it political. Don't make it about that thing. Let's make it about Jesus and about telling people about Jesus and being truthful about Jesus, who he is, what he's done for you and I, and what he's done for you, right? In particular, your story. Speaking the truth that others need to hear but may not want to hear is an honor to Christ and love to others. People need to know about Jesus. Number four, humility knows and feels that it depends on grace for everything. Humility knows that. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace you're saved through faith. And this is not from yourself. It's the gift of God. It's not from works. 
so that no one could boast. Because if it was, we'd all be going, hey, I got this. Philippians 2, 12 and 13, continue working out your salvation with awe or fear and reverence or trembling. For the one bringing forth in you both the desire and the effort for the sake of his good pleasure is God. The most basic knowing of who Jesus is is a gift of God. Faith is not our own doing. Our faith isn't. It is the gift of God. And last, humility knows and it feels that it is fallible. Humility knows that. It learns from actual criticism. It learns from it. But it also knows God has made provision for unshakable conviction. That's these guys in Acts chapter 5, right? 2 Corinthians 5, 11, therefore or so, because we know the fear of the Lord, we try to persuade people, but we are well known to God and hope we are well known to your consciences too. Titus 2, 15, so communicate these things with this sort of exhortation or rebuke that carries full authority. Don't let anybody look down on you. Listen, you can't persuade people you can't seek to. You can't want to help anybody understand who Jesus is humbly if you have no convictions. You can't speak humbly with authority if you have no convictions. You can't just be Switzerland about everything. Remember, Relativism in our culture suffers from relativism that often passes for humility is just as likely to be a disguise for pride and conviction as conviction might be, right? So because there is, if, if there is no objective truth that you can know, then you're free to be your own God. You can't create your own truth. You, you can... You can be judge and jury in every controversy, right, if you can create your own truth. Relativism, relativism is attractive because it permits you to act like God. It looks humble, but it's not humble. But humility subge- uh, submits to objective reality or truth. And I've said before, recently, that there is a war, the, the great war out there is a, the, a, a war about truth, a war about what is real and reality. Everything and everybody is lying to us. Humility submits to objective reality. It cannot play God. Humility never can. It can't shape reality to suit its preferences. Humility is a servant of truth. Humility knows that it gra- it, it, its grasp of reality is fallible. But it also knows that there's such a thing as objective reality, and, that's, and, and that God's grace enables us to see truly. It doesn't a- enable us to see perfectly because we're so imperfect, but it helps us to submit to the truth and to proclaim it. So what does this have to do with me? Stand firm in serious joy. Now you know how it works and how it goes together. Stand firm in serious joy. Number two, humility senses that humility is a gift beyond our reach. Can't always get there, right? 
if humility is the product of our reaching, then we will instinctively feel proud about reaching it. I think that's why you never get there. But it doesn't mean you shouldn't keep reaching, and, uh, and that's being obedient. Number three, humility is self-forgetful. Is that a word? Self-forgetful? I know it's a thing. It is the self-forgetful gift that receives all things as a gift. 2020 has been a gift. Don't ever say it isn't. I think it's been a gift to the church. I think all of this has been a gift to Christ followers. I think it shook us to the core for a reason. I think God is in control of all of it. And he's producing something. Paul says, this gift is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's the fruit of the gospel. Knowing and feeling that we are desperate, sinful people and that Christ is a great and undeserved Savior. If you're not thinking along those lines this week, you're missing real joy. We have a Savior that we do not deserve. Yeah. Number four, humility is the greatest culture... How did I say it, Sherry? I'm going to put it up here. Humility. Humility is the greatest cultural conflict. That's what it should say. Humility is the greatest cultural conflict, right? It is the fruit of serious joy. Humility produces serious joy, in other words, right? Joy in the immeasurable, joy that is unshakable, joy in the undeserved riches of Christ Jesus. So here's my closing motivation. That's what I was trying to do today. I don't know if I did it or not. Trying to motivate you today a little bit. Submit to Christ as king. Swear allegiance to the king. Don't expect better than he got. Tell the truth in love for Christ's sake, for Jesus' sake. Receive all of life as grace and a gift. Be teachable, though. Don't be wimpy or wishy-washy. That means you don't have any convictions. Nobody respects that. And you get nothing. Stand firm. And serious joy. And last, I don't know if anybody's told you the truth or not. If you're ready to do that, if you're willing to do that, if you put up the white flag and surrender to Jesus, you should expect a serious beating. It's going to happen. Otherwise, you're doing it wrong. Thank you, Lord, for um, this morning and this Advent quality and word that is so hard, joy. Thank you for the truth, though, that is fleshed out over and over again, how it is sequential with sorrow and it is intertwined with sorrow and highly connected to humility, Lord.
So our prayer today is, Lord, teach us, as much as it's scary to pray that, teach us to be humble, Lord, so we can have serious joy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Vail Christian Church Podcast. Join us next week as we continue in our Advent series and Pastor Ben speaks about love. If you have any questions, would like more information about our church, or would like to see the video cast of this message, please visit our website at www.vailchristian.com.